By the way, is that an Iron Maiden jerking off semen shirt? What the fuck is going on there? about you ian but i fucking love surf music oh god dude like, when I, I found surf music that's all i listened to for like a year yeah no and i mean it, sure it was high school and everything but honestly like surf music was such a revolution for me because i had always thought the surf music was like the beach boys you know what i mean right like i always like, you know, like <laughs> heard my grandma listen to the beach boys and i'm like well i understand that that's music and i think people like that but uh, that's just not really my thing and so i always kind of thought that was surf music and then suddenly one day it must have i assume it was you know miserloo that's probably pulp fiction yeah probably pulp fiction miserloo is probably the first time i heard it but i can't like I don't know. I can't say that for sure. I mean, it definitely probably was, though, because I think it, I think I actually heard Miserloo, and then at some point I made the connection that that was music and not just an intro to a movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to remember when I discovered Link Ray. God, I, it, it was, was high school, for sure. Cause, it cause was a we, long time ago. Yeah, because I had all the albums back in high school, and you had introduced me to them, so I know for a fact it was at least that old. Yeah, it must be. I don't know. I mean, all I know is this dude was probably one of the most inventive guys ever. Yeah, so if you didn't catch that, we're doing Link Raid tonight. By the way, thank you all for joining us. This dude, check out this song. I'm Pat. I'm Ian. We're doing Link Ray tonight. A fantastic musician for sure. And I'm really excited to hear about his, uh, you know, his history tonight. Because while I may be intimately involved with his music already, I have no idea what this man did through any of his life. Well, buckle up, because... His early life is uh, interesting, it's, to say the least. Oh, God, Ian, what have you brought us again? You're making that face. <laughs> well, I guess we should start at the beginning, huh? <laughs> well, if you keep making that face, I might just keep stalling. I mean, technically, the intro's not over until I stop talking. So, um, yeah. all right, I can't really stall in, in, any further. I guess I'll let you begin. By the way, guys, we're, like, actually in, like, later era now because his... His first album comes out in what, 57, 58? 58. Yeah, so uh, that means for once, what, what's his birth year? It's like in the 30s? Well, why don't I get what? to that? I, I know, I'm just speculating, geez. So, Frederick Lincoln Ray Jr. was born May 2nd, 1929 in Dunn, North Carolina to Fred Lincoln Ray Sr. and his wife Lillian. His family lived kind of an itinerant life often sleeping rough, earning a meager living from farm work and street preaching. Wait, itinerant? Itinerant? I don't actually know what that means. What is it? Uh, like, they moved from town to town. Oh, okay. Uh, they moved around a lot. Oh, okay. I, I was never, I wasn't aware of that, or aware of that term. I'm going to put that in my dictionary. Now, his father, he kind of suffered from shell shock as a result of his experience in the First World War. Oh, shit. Yeah. He's other, a trench boy. Yeah, other, other than that, I... There wasn't much on him. I tried really hard to find as much as I could about his early childhood, too. was not easy. Yeah. 
and his mother was a Shawnee native, also claiming some Cherokee heritage from his paternal grandfather. Oh, well, that would make sense with some of his catalog later. Yeah, and being from Dunn, North Carolina, his family was considered third-class citizens in the 1930s. Oh, shit. They were hated by whites and sometimes people of other color, too. And so they would try and pass even listing themselves as white on the census and effectively erasing their identity in the name of survival. His mother, Lillian, refused to teach her three boys the Shawnee language for fear of what would happen to them if they were caught speaking it. She would turn out the lights and put blankets over their windows when the Ku Klux Klan burned crosses nearby. Jesus. Yeah. During KKK raids, she and local Cherokee parents would conduct the horrifying and humiliating ritual of hiding their children in barns, under beds, and even in hastily dug holes in the ground. Oh, my God. Can you freaking imagine yeah, that, that childhood? That's terrible. That, that's so fucking horrible, dude. Yeah, that's what we call terrorism. Jesus fucking Christ. I've got a quote from Link Ray about his childhood, and he said, I quote, The cops, the sheriff, the drugstore owner, they were all Ku Klux Klan. They put the mask on, and if you did something wrong, they'd tie you to a tree and whip you or kill you. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, you know, for a music history podcast, we sure do talk about a lot of dark uh, dark subjects. I mean, I guess that really is what it is, because we, we're, it's always been about, you know, sharing the human history of every musician. And, yeah. You know, it turns Human out history is not always very happy. Yeah, and it turns out a lot of times when you're a musician, it's because you have some sort of early life trauma, apparently. I wonder if that's a correlating fact. I'm going to have to start, uh, I don't know, some sort of study. Well, let's uh, read through our catalog, and you listeners do it too, and we'll start figuring out how traumatic <laughs> a lot of these artists' childhoods yeah, were. Yeah, I guess we have to quantify tragedy. I don't think that. I don't think that's a really a good start to what we're going for. Let's just <laughs> stick to wor- or uh, to fucking history of music, all right? <laughs> and even though you know he basically lived in what I would call hell, his mother would still work in the cotton fields, singing the song "Will the Circle Be Unbroken." And as legend has it, he was introduced to guitar at the age eight from an African-American circus guitarist known as Hambone, who showed the young man guitar basics and a few tricks. Hambone. Hambone. That's amazing. And to quote his oldest daughter, Beth Ray, she said, Daddy always gave Hambone credit until the day he died. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great like. That's a great music mentor name. Like right? I learned from a man named Hambone. What do you got? What was his real name? It was just Hambone. Yeah, that was his real name. What are you talking about? And so during Link Ray's early teenage years, his family ended up moving to Portsmouth, Virginia, where his father got a job at the shipyards. So thank God he got out of there, right? Yeah, right. I, <laughs> anytime you can move away from a situation like that is a uh, is some sort of revelation or success. Well, once in Virginia, Ray began playing in bands with his brothers, Vernon and Doug. And at some point, he would record country songs as the Palomino Ranch Hands, and they would back up country acts passing through the area. That's pretty fucking badass. Yeah, did you see country coming out of this? I did not see a country band coming out of this. No, that was not what I was expecting. I was like, they're throwing together a band in this year. I was like, I don't know what they would even be playing. Like, (laughs) But it wasn't country. That was not my first expectation. But I guess, you know rockabilly or country rockabilly sir, sir yeah. yeah 
uh, they're kind of all connected. Like I, well, I and know. he didn't play the typical surf anyway. So you know, a lot of his was a lot more rooted in blues and like country chords and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think after a certain time, it's also uh, it can be grouped into that garage rock group. But that's I don't know. I think garage rock is kind of either simultaneous or slightly after. So you can't really say one came from the other. But like they, I think it's just like the compression of the guitars and stuff kind of gets them stuck together. Well, and so his music career would kind of have to take a break as he was sent to Korea. Oh, shit. Did he get drafted or? It didn't say, but I would imagine so. Yeah, I'm not sure if they drafted for the Korean War. I'm not all, I'm not up to that portion of or not up on that portion of history. Well, I know my grandpa was drafted, but that's also because he was drafted at the end of World War II and was already fully trained. Yeah. So, so who who knows? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they probably were, but if he if he was forced to go to to Korea either way, like I, I don't know. I assume if he was forced, he could have already been enlisted too. But well, and even though he never saw combat, this short stint would change his whole life. Yeah. He would end up contracting tuberculosis and would spend more than a year hospitalized eventually losing a lung holy fuck a whole lung a whole lung this is before he started playing yeah dude was rocking with one lung yeah why does he not have a song called one lung (laughs) (laughs) well and i had always heard this as a uh i was gonna say kid as a young man (laughs) and the rumor that i always heard was that the doctor told him that he would never be able to sing again oh yeah yeah i don't know if that's true i didn't see anything about that in my research but that's always been the thing that stuck with me about him over the years. Yeah, it's just so strange. I never knew he only had one lung. And, uh, like, I guess, like, his singing style makes sense to, you know. Yeah, it, it's definitely rough. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's definitely, like, a proto-punk type style. Yeah, and I think it's probably because he has to take so many breaths, probably. <laughs> and also, it might be why he has so many instrumentals, too. But Link Ray would get out of the military and find his way to Washington, D.C., where he would marry Elizabeth Candy Ray. Now, this is one of four wives. I'm not Candy gonna... Ray. Candy Ray. That's Her... fucking hilarious and awesome. <laughs> so this is number one, though. This is number one. Now, he did end up getting married four times. His first three he would have eight children with. And I'm only going to mention his first and his fourth just because... Couldn't really find any information about his other wives. Yeah, the specific dates or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So we have a number one, number two, number three, and number four. And we got a number four coming up you guys don't know about yet. Oh, yeah. You just told them. Shh. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) moving forward. And so after he spent a bunch of time recovering, he resumed playing music up and down the East Coast. He would even invite his oldest daughter, Beth, who I quoted earlier on stage to dance to the music that's fucking awesome yeah that's hella cool and it was around this time that they would change their name to link ray and the rayman that's such a cool or, also a cool or just rayman yeah. yeah the rayman or yeah yeah link ray and the rayman in multiple so cool. different spellings yeah, yeah exactly and that's when they started to you know follow the rock and roll train that had oh, been going on oh yes so one night on stage in Fredericksburg, Virginia, the master of ceremonies asked Link Ray's band to play a stroll. Link Ray did not know what a stroll was, but his brother Doug, who was drumming for him, just started playing a backbeat. And Link Ray I- improvised some chords and some solos, and this is how Rumble was born. Oh, they did. did oh, so it was just an improvised song? To yeah. Be that's fucking awesome. 
And we all know, or okay, I'm not going to say we all know, but Rumble is definitely one of his more like popular, oh, uh, yeah. well-known songs. If you know any Link Ray, you know Rumble. Well, and he originally named this track Oddball. <laughs> and this song was so popular to when he first made it up, the crowd went wild, and they kept insisting that he play the song over and over again. <laughs> and it was just made up, dude. He goes, I, okay, I'll play that song I just made up again. Yeah. And so, That's a good way to start your career, though. <laughs> I had to look up what a stroll was, though. Just for the sake of the story, a stroll was both a slow rock and roll dance and a song that was popular in the late 50s. So, so it's like a song structure. Yeah, it's... Seems like a song structure that had, like, a specific dance to it. I bet it's just, like, long-form long, long form instrumental slash film music played by the band. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, they, if you were to be like, uh, obviously, I have no actual backup information. But just from what you provided, it seems like it would be, like, time filler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a, hey, band, play a stroll for the next 20 minutes while everyone funnels in and gets, you know, gets and ready they, to And they dance. can start dancing. Yeah, and, exactly, yeah. and get warmed up. And then, you know, after that, you play your actual songs or whatever. Just seems logical. In 1958, Cadence, a small record company in Washington, D.C., approved a primitive instrumental recorded by Ray. You know, that song Rumble. Rumble. And the label's owner, Archie Blyer, declined to issue it until he found out his teenage daughter expressing enthusiasm for the work and saying that it reminded her of the Rumble scenes in West Side Story. <laughs> Is that where it gets the name? Yeah. That's fucking hella cool. And so when the record hit the shelves, it was pretty controversial. Several radio stations, notably in Boston and New York, would ban this song for fear of inciting teenage violence. There's no lyrics in this yeah, song. I was going to say rumble? What? <laughs> yeah. No, we can't play this song. People are going to start rumbling yeah they're gonna just rumble in the jungle like it's the wwf <laughs> we've heard some dumbass reasons to censor songs but being scared that people are gonna fight because the song got the name rumble like jesus Warriors, yeah. come, come on to play, play. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, oh my god. Some of this shit is just fucking asinine, man. Can't believe there's a real reality we live in. Well, so that brings me to my first dude check out this song. And of course, you guys gotta oh, check hold on. out. We have to throw a caveat out there. Yeah. Don't fight anybody when you listen to this. Yeah. Please, God, do not put our, our blessed surf in danger by rumbling to this song do not fight in the name of link ray <laughs> yeah exactly You're... and do check out rumble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dude i fucking what <laughs> all right oh shit, who knew dude. instrumental songs were so dangerous yeah oh my god i just feel like i, I need to fight something right now yeah, fight the censors maybe yeah, exactly <laughs> So before we talk about some more of his other music, let's kind of talk about his song style. Badass. Is badass a style? Now, Link Ray claimed that his lack of musical ability forced him to invent sounds. He did this by punching holes in his amplifier and running chords up and down the fret, but using a chord that very few people really used at this time. The fucking power chord. Oh, yes. 
Wait, so he so you said he punched holes in his amp, like in the in like his, in his speaker in, cone. Yeah, in the speaker cone. Oh, that is. So is that where? So he manually created a fuzz pedal with a just by poking holes. In yep. His, that's that is inventive as fuck. Yeah, and I always thought it kind of came out of the whole kinks, you know, taking a razor to their cone, but. They were later than Link Ray, so maybe they modeled it after him. Well, yeah, they were definitely later than Link Ray. I don't even. I know, I know the Kinks are like earlier, but not that early. Well, and so I got a quote from Link Ray about this, and he says, "I was looking for something Chet Atkins wasn't doing that all the Jazz Kings wasn't doing. I was looking for my own sound." Yep. There, hey, there you go, and that's exactly what he had. And his look—he never molded himself after any sort of idol or pop star. He kind of made himself look like what would be a criminal in that day and age. Someone you didn't want to mess with, right? And this look would eventually develop into wearing a black leather jacket and shades and just looking like a badass on stage. Yeah, but black leather jacket, black hair, slicked back, black shades. Uh, does this sound like anything to anybody? Like a greaser with the cigarettes <laughs> yeah, rolled yeah, up yeah, in exactly. his sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't model myself after anybody, but I definitely look like just about everybody else in that decade. <laughs> I mean... It was kind of a look, though, that you didn't see from people who had hit songs. Yeah, no, for sure, especially not in this era. I I do make the joke, but the bad boy rock and roll mentality was played up more in movies later than it was during the time. Like the Fonz. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Yeah, like uh, like movies and TVs later really played up the fifties bad boy. Like you you watch like a what like a, you know. What is that? Stand that, by me. Well, stand by, stand by me. And any of those, any of those movies that are set in the '60s or '50s. What's the the one that's all a singing song? I can't remember. Oh, Grease. Grease. Yeah, <laughs> it's it like that where they really glorify this like greaser mentality. I thought but. you were talking about the Outsiders till you mentioned musical. <laughs> well, yeah, the Outsiders fit in there too. But all of these things are kind of retroactively looking. But if you really look, it was popular at the time. Like no, it was clean cut. Yeah, it was, it was Elvis. It was Johnny Cash. Yep. You know, it, it was people who were who were very much still pandering to the to the larger mentality. And so, even it, though Johnny Cash was the Man in Black, and that was considered out there, maybe it's maybe that's gonna keep playing. Like you know, in, in like ten years from now, we can look back and be like, "Whoa, Juggalos are so cool." <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you meant everything was gonna go full, full circle and everybody's gonna be all clean cut again. <laughs> no, I'm just saying we could we could. You know, make things that were really lame 10 years ago, like, popular again. Are Juggalos ever going to be cool, though? No, I don't think so. No offense to any of our Juggalo audience out there. I don't know. Do we have any? I don't I don't know. But if we do, it's, it's unfair to them for us <laughs> to be mean to them. You keep painting your faces and drinking your orange soda. And whoop, 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 family. Yep, there you go. See, Ian knows all of your things. He's a secret <laughs> Juggalo. So no matter all the bad things he says, you can know that <laughs> deep down what he's really like. All right. Now, getting back on track here, the owner for Cadence, Blyer, panicked after releasing this song and, you know, seeing it hit the charts and stuff. Of Rumble, right? Of Rumble, yeah. yeah. And he told Link Ray he had to clean up his act. So- <laughs> Your instrumental song is causing too much trouble. You need to clean up your act, young man. (laughs) (laughs) And so Link Ray signed with Epic Records. (laughs) 
sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, nah, it is it is pretty fucking ridiculous though. You clean up your act, you instrumental musician. <laughs> he ended up scoring another hit with his song Rawhide, but Epic also tried to get Link Ray to clean up his act, forcing him to record standards when his appeal was about creating the crudest sounding music ever recorded. Like, they even tried to make him, like, record with orchestras and stuff. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Link Ray with a fucking orchestra? <laughs> Dude doesn't even have two lungs. He doesn't even orchestra. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just, we hear a lot of crazy stuff here. But uh, what? Like, for real? Like, I get it. Like, you know, he definitely was, like, poking holes in his amp and making sure that his shit sounded all crazy. And, you know, like... He was most definitely pushing the social norms at the time. But it's just such an asinine, like, perspective to be, like, songs without any lyrics being like, they are so offensive. What's offending you? The noise? The sound? <laughs> are you offended by the noise itself? Because then you're just in the wrong genre. Well, it's not like he was out there singing, go stab your neighbor, come on right now, please stab him now, you're gonna love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like other musicians we've covered who actually sung about stabbing their wives and then went and did it. <laughs> or just slashed a bunch of people. Yeah, God damn it, Lead Belly quit slashing people with a razor. <laughs> Even in season four, I still have to tell you to stop. And so, not wanting to be stifled, Link Ray and his brothers left Epic and briefly formed Rumble Records. <laughs> They're like, fuck it, I'll just release my own. <laughs> yeah, they would end up issuing three singles from this, including an instrumental called Jack the Ripper. Which is badass yeah. as a motherfucker. And this song would end up getting picked up by Philadelphia Swan Records to give Link Ray his last U.S. hit. Well, and this the uh, recreations of this song would be used in movies for a long time. Long time. Well, and before it was even picked up by Swan Records, Link Ray and his brother Doug would end up selling copies of Jack the Ripper out of the trunk of his car. So that's that's how we got the word out there for the song. Yeah, so he's literally out there doing, like, hardcore, like, footwork. Oh, yeah. He's out there, like, cloud rappers nowadays on the street. Like, <laughs> buy my CD. Or any rapper out there on the streets of Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, come on. Shroom told me the term cloud rapper, and now I use it. I oh. have, I've absorbed the information <laughs> here. I'm just relating to my own experience, sir. <laughs> With these recordings and him starting his own label... He would actually end up turning the family chicken coop into a crude recording studio, and he would start experimenting with guitar instrumentals and doing a lot of crazy shit. Like, even with this song, like, he ended up recording it at the end of a hotel staircase to get, like, the maximum amount of echo effect you could get. So manual, manual reverb, essentially. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, I've done that myself a hundred times. If you guys have ever heard an accordion, it's really great. But if you ever heard an accordion in a small, concrete, like, stairwell, oh, man, it's it's like being in an orchestra hall. Also, brass. Brass instruments do the same thing. They they sound amazing in, like, you know, small stone enclosures or, or uh, like, concrete. Well, and so that brings me to my next dude. Check out this song. We got Rawhide, Jack the Ripper, and a song I didn't even mention that's making the dude check out the song Hidden Charms. Oh, which is also a hidden charm in and of itself. I wanted to throw an instrumental in there, but this section was mainly talking about his hits and stuff like that. So, just hidden, yeah, bring it, bring us what the hits were. 
Is Hidden Charm, how well did Hidden Charm do? Not well. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. But it's a great song nonetheless, so yeah, it's got to make the list. It's definitely fantastic. And I mean, let's be honest, if every record label that you go to is being like, clean up your act, you son of a bitch, your music is going to be, uh, you know, not, not extremely well received. And so it was after this where the British invasion would start taking over. And a lot of the British invasion bands love Link Ray stuff. So it was kind of ironic that the fact like John Lennon and other guitar players who loved his work pretty much made him get overlooked by the rest of America. Yeah, and, and like I, I kind of made the comparison earlier of garage rock, I think the British rock fits right in that same fucking scheme because a lot of the British early punk and proto-punk that would come out is all so very contextually similar to what Link Ray produced. You yeah, know? well, and you're talking with the British invasion about the mid-60s, you know. Yeah, the, the mid-60s. So when I say proto-punk, I don't mean things like 70s British punk. I mean, no, like, you're talking like the Sonics and yeah, the Kingsmen exactly. and the, stuff like the, that. The things that would be considered either, either garage rock or whatever versions of early fuzz rock. And so he would kind of retire from music. You know, go back to the farm and just he continue would. farming. Yeah. At what age? About mid-30s. I don't have an exact date. But that makes sense. I mean, mid-30s, one lung. People keep wanting you to clean up your act, even though you're not saying anything. Well, and so after several years away, in 1971, Link Ray would end up returning with a self-titled album, unlike any of the other music he's done before this. Like, this is when he came out officially in his life that he was of native american descent and you could even see it in the album cover where it shows him with the native american headband he's got his hair long and he he looks native american as compared to the like so is when is this released versus like comanche and apache are the are those afterwards those are before yeah those so, are his early stuff yeah so but like it's it's weird for people like not to have but he native never connect. he never claimed to be of native american descent Probably because of his childhood. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Where, yeah, because of his childhood, he was always, you know, persecuted for what he was. Yeah. Out of no choice of his own. And, you know, we, you know, I, we live in the northwest of uh, the United States, so we do actually have a lot of Native Americans around here. So, like, if you look at his face, you could see not only that you could see the Native American in it, but you can also see, uh, like, how he passed as, like, yeah. quote-unquote white. You know what I mean? So it's kind of sad that, like... It's sad that he had to hide it. Yeah, it's it is. It's not even kind of sad. It's extremely sad. You know what I mean? It's just as sad as any of the other atrocities of any of the other racial bullshit that that people have to like go through governmental exploitation just to not, you know, have somebody be racist against them. Especially in a city where, you know, police officials are corrupt by racist organizations. You know, things like that. Well, and so the self-titled album, like I said before was definitely unlike anything else he had ever done. It was a mix of folk, country, gospel, soul, and swampy blues. And just goddamn good hippie music. Yeah, that's basically what it was, is this was his hippie album. He I'm not even a big fan of hippie music, if I'm being completely honest, but this this There's al- some good jams on this one, Yeah, though. this album really does be- make it like... I think it's just because Link Ray is also musically talented, so a lot of the hippie aspects where they ignore the musicianship a lot, where him already being talented really just counteracted all of the negative effects that I ever have. Well, and so some of the songs on this would be like his bluesy stomp, a jukebox mama, got out west, which was just like... 
you know, fuzz rock at the highest level. <laughs> I worship upon the fuzz rock song, God, whatever. Yeah, so like really, really early like uh, versions of these, uh, I don't know, like Godspeed. You Black Emperor and all yeah. these like modern, <laughs> <laughs> modern long form acoustic ba- or not acoustic but instrumental bands. Not even that. It was almost like kind of a precursor to, of music to come too. Because I didn't, I didn't have time to play this one for you, but it really was like it. It had like that sixties rock sound, but with that that real fuzzy, overdriven sound where it was just like almost like an in between. Huh, that's really cool. Yeah, it, it's a really good song. Like. So it's kind of like it's kind of like late garage rock kind of style then, but with more fuzz. With more fuzz and definitely more chops. Yeah, I'm glad that we're in an era where we can start talking about garage rock. Can we put the Sonics on something like? It'll be next season for okay, sure. Okay, put them in the beep boop boop machine. Boop 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 boop. And then another song we got to talk about is Fire and Brimstone, which is kind of almost like a folky like. Almost like Grateful Dead kind of song, but song better, so fucking rocks. better than Grateful Dead for sure. Yeah, and uh, that's no that's no negative like impl- implications of Grateful Dead. This is not a mediocre song. It's, it's, it's this not song, a it's not a jam band song. Yeah, but th- it kind of has that vibe. Exactly. It's like if jam bands actually wrote a whole song and knew what they were playing before they arrived. That is what this song is. It really is. It takes all the jam band aspects and all those super like late hippie aspects, but really puts them together in such a composed way yeah. that it makes it a good listen. And no no offense to all the, the all the jam band guys out there. You fish fans, please be quiet. We're not we're not making fun of jam bands. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like to play like improvised music for long amounts of time. I find it highly entertaining and stuff, but you know, for viewing purposes, for a musician to know exactly what the whole song is when they show up to the mic and play the exact song that they knew they were going to play, that's a whole new level of talent and skill. So, just, it is what it is. And so, in the late 70s, Link Ray would kind of get a minor hit on the charts for one last time with rockabilly singer Robert Gordon on the song Red Hot. So, you know, they did a cover of the song Red Hot. Like, uh... Robert Johnson's Red Hot? My gal is, is red, red hot. Yeah. Your gal ain't doodly squat. Okay, so it's not Robert Johnson's Red Hot then. Yeah, that version. And it was also around this time where Link Ray would end up meeting his fourth wife, Olive. Number four and two and three. <laughs> they were in there. They would eventually move to Denmark where Olive was from in the mid-80s. And Link Ray would not return to America for more than a decade, staying and playing in Europe. I mean, that's that's a thing. Well, part of it was because they had the 80s rockabilly revival going on all over Europe, which really helped him play over there because even though he played surf, he was, you know, among the gods of the rockabilly scene. So and if we're talking about, like, dominoes that lead to music that I love, the 80s rockabilly revival, while I don't give a shit about anything that came from it, the corresponding genres and interest types that come from it are all the things I love. You know what I mean? We wouldn't have, uh, like, rockabilly, like the the Eastern European rockabilly slash psychabilly thing. You know, we wouldn't have any of these other things without that 80s revival of rockabilly in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's so, like, honestly, like, I can't on it. Can you think of a single good song from that 80s rockabilly revival in the in Europe? 
like because we can't put like you know guana bats or or stray cats. Although I guess they were more late seventies, huh? Yeah, they were late seventies. They don't fit in there either. But I mean, they did end up moving to Europe because of the revival. Well, I think I think the stray cats honestly were one of the dominoes before this. So they they don't really count because they led to something that led to right. But the stray cats ended up having to move to Europe because they couldn't make money in America playing this music. Yeah, so And, and so they definitely perpetuated the situation. But I wouldn't say that they came out of it though either. So it it's really interesting to I don't know. Well, before we get too far off the path, let's do check out this ne- these next songs. Not the Stray Cats. Not the Stray Cats. These are all Link Ray songs. Jukebox Mama, God Out West, Fire and Brimstone, and Red Hot. Yeah, seriously. And double on Fire and Brimstone. I'm just going to throw out my opinion right here. That song fucking rocks. That song's awesome. That's why I was glad to bring it to you because I'd never heard it before doing this research. I didn't even know he released that album. And it does not sound like anything he's ever made. No, it's like straight up like late 60s, early 70s, just hippie galore. Yeah, and you know... uh I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not a big fan of, like, the hippie music slash hippie mentality all the time. But, like I said, this is such a good presentation of it to where skill is showed and it covers all the issues with the whole thing. And so it makes it very solid for me. Well, like I said, he was spending his time traveling around Europe playing. And what helped convince him to get back to the U.S. to start playing again was that his music started airing in films and TV. Yep, like we talked about earlier, his his song Rumble is in so much fucking film and TV. Yeah, he had songs in Pulp Fiction, Independence Day, and Desperado. Even had a song in an episode of The Sopranos. Yeah, and he toured for quite a bit. How he he toured for late into his life, right? Oh yeah, he would end up resuming touring the U.S. and basically returned as a hero, and basically spent the rest of his life touring the world. Yeah, and I. If I remember right, I think he actually played a show. What year did he stop playing live? It was around the time we graduated. Because I, I want to feel like I didn't get to go to the show, but I felt like there was a Link Ray show near me at some point, you know, in that era. I didn't get to actually go to it myself, but I just have that that recognition. Well, and so in total honesty, I don't have a ton of stuff in his later life. It was hard enough getting everything I've told you going before. Like, I had, like, ten different websites up, and each one, like, seemed to cover, like, a different chunk of his life. And so I had to jump and jump and jump. But I couldn't find much in his later life. But what I do know is that he ended up dying of heart failure in his home in Copenhagen on November 5th, 2005, at the age of 76. Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, that's—he lived a long, full life. And he would end up being buried in a crypt in the Christian's church in Copenhagen. Oh, he, got, he actually has like a crypt burial then. Yeah. Right? That's that's pretty fucking cool. We might have to take a trip to Europe to go check it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely when the when the do check out the song European tour comes out, we're going to Link Ray's grave. <laughs> hey, I mean, let, let's be honest. Uh, we have some great Britain listeners and uh, some Latvian listeners now. Yeah, I, I hear you out there, Latvia. I see I see three unique listeners out there in Latvia. Come <laughs> on, boys. And so before we even get to last thoughts, I've got some more stuff to talk about with him. Some stuff I felt was pretty fitting to throw in at the end. So he would actually prove to be, as I mentioned before, a great inspiration for a lot of important guitarists out there, right? At least in terms of like pop culture and stuff like that. 
And so some of the guitarists that would be included on this list of inspiration would be Jimmy Page. Hell yeah. Pete Townsend. Yep. Neil Young. Fuck yeah. Bruce Springsteen. Yep. In fact, Bob Dylan. <laughs> he got him in this episode. I got him. I got him. <laughs> we wrangled Bob Dylan in this episode too, guys. Let's do it. it so Bob Dylan even opened up one of his shows in London on a Sunday night playing the song Rumble in tribute to him. <laughs> I looked so hard to find this recording. I couldn't find oh it Oh, my God. I want it. That sounds amazing. He was also named one of the top 50 greatest guitarists of all time by Rolling Stone, which actually I got a lot of information about him from Rolling Stone. He was credited with inventing or at least discovering guitar distortion as well as the power chord. Fuck yeah, dude. Which, let's be honest, it's a mainstay in anything metal or punk rock. Yeah, well, I, I would say the the power chord played on guitar is what he discovered. You know, the power chord is something that literally has always existed. Like, it's the most basic form. It's the first thing you learn in, like, basic music theory. So. Well, and that's why I gave the caveat, or at least discovering, because, you know, with guitar distortion, like, the power chord just rings true. Like, it, there's something that sounds natural with guitar distortion and a power chord yeah no exactly i think i think that is really what it is the the simplicity of only having the two inputs from the notes and then you know if, if you're gonna have like you know strummed open notes or strummed muted notes it combines with the power chord and make, gives it such body that like honestly i can't say anything but big brass like multiple brass instruments in your face would yeah. be able to have produced at the time like I, I get well, and even them, they're probably pl as playing individual notes with several saxophones together, are probably doing power chords as is. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the ironic part. Is yeah, they were one hundred percent using one five harmonies when they were doing that shit. And so, like, I don't know. Just at the time, if you really think about it, to get what you got out of a power chord and an amplifier, the only other way for you to get that sound quality would literally be standing in the middle of a 5 to 30 piece fucking brass band. You know what I mean? That's the only way you get that sound, uh, like, saturation at that point in history. And so in his hometown of Dunn, they declared his birthday May 2nd to be Link Ray Day in 2011. Because May 1st is May Day, so they have May Day and then Ray Day. <laughs> Never even put that together. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And in 2013, even debuted a festival bearing his name. Hell yeah. He deserves it. He was also featured in the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of Native American Indian, up where we belong exhibits in Washington, D.C., New York, and Canada. Hell yeah. And so, before we get to our last thoughts, I kind of have to give one little nod because, you know... Oh, lay it on me, Ian. Come on. He hid his heritage for a long time, hiding from those assholes from the KKK and probably being afraid to truly identify himself. And he had several songs that were named after Indian tribes. Hell yeah. I guess I kind of half spoiled this earlier, didn't he I? He kind of did. He had songs Shawnee Tribe, Comanche, and Apache. And so before we get to our final thoughts, do check out these songs, Shawnee Tribe, Comanche, and Apache. 
and just dude check out native american culture in general you got their their fucking music is cool like it is really cool and has always been cool so you know if nothing else give it a look and one little final note on this dude check out the song list apache has been covered by a ton of bands out there. A ton. It, so even if you've never heard his version, you've probably heard a version of it somewhere. Or on, a, once again, TV, commercials, movies, they sneak Link Ray, not just, most Link Ray's personal recordings never make it on anything. It's repres- or recreations of his music that make it on things. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of sad. Well, I guess it's that time now, isn't it, Ian? I think so, but I think it's time for you to go first, honestly. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, you know, last thoughts on Link Ray. All right, so if I'm going to try and get my last thoughts for this whole thing, I'm going to not leave heavy-handedly on the the whole negative aspects of, obviously, I've had to so many times focus on in the last three seasons of just bullshit racism. I'm not going to waste my time on that. Y'all understand, but the reality is, Personally, no musician should ever, like, suppress their own culture. One of the things that's really important about Link Ray and has really uh, succeeded in making him popular is the fact that he was very connected with his culture personally. Uh, we talked about the three songs that are directly named after Native American uh, tribes, but that is not just it. Because of this, if you take, like, a... Like a scholaristic look at his music and you pick apart what really puts together this quote-unquote strange melodies and these crazy beats and these weird things that his drummer is doing and things like that not to mention distortion which was unheard of like at any point in this time yeah like he was basically a fuzz rocker yeah and, and but that that's not what i'm saying like what i'm getting at is is all of these things are very connected to his native american culture like the the arrhythmic uh, like vocalizations and the the strangeness of his music a lot of that you can see hidden versions of his native culture in there and obviously it's not in quotation marks native american music you know it's not the traditional style but if you as a musician can really pick apart what really comes from or what really builds on something like that, you can see that that his culture was important for what we got. And that works for everybody. And the funny thing about that formula is it's so broad and generic and has so many factors that it could be used a million more times. You can have the exact same life as Link Ray and instead of Native American, put Polish. Or instead of Polish, put Antarctican or Canadian or whatever. Antarctican, really? (laughs) Come on. There's some people who live in Antarctica representing up there, you scientists doing stuff. But what I'm saying is culturally cultures alone do so much inspiration onto a single music style to where you don't have to have a unique music style or unique orientation if you just take a clue from your culture in the background you can create music that nobody has ever heard in their life and i'm a big like world music you know i don't know kind of instrumental listen to a bunch of world folk music kind of guy and i have i've come to appreciate how much we really don't understand the the actual width of music here in any country you know we live in america where you would say that we have access to some of the widest varieties of music and the more i dig the more i find that there is just world folk music that just keeps 
being there that's so popular, popular by millions of people listening to it that I have never found and never heard of and never even experienced the style. And the more I dig, the more there is. And so at any point, if you feel like you don't have the musical inspiration you require, there's a thousand cultures out there with a thousand different of their own unique ideas. And, you know, we just don't pick them up. And honestly, if you guys do the right sort of listening and the right sort of studying and looking, you'll find the information you so desire. And most of the time it can come from your culture of yourself, but it doesn't have to. And, you know, I... I'm not going to make an argument about cultural appropriation, but honestly, nobody should ever be mad that somebody's, like, representing their culture in anything. So, you know what I mean? It, it's it, You don't have to be a gypsy to make gypsy music. You don't have to be Russian to make Russian music. You don't have to be Indonesian to make Indonesian music. That's just asinine, stupid rhetoric. Get out there and experience music and make better music yourselves. Ian, now it's your turn, bitch. Well... I'm definitely going to go a little different with my last thoughts. Well, I sure hope so. That would be stupid if you just repeated my last thoughts. Oh, wait. Can we replay what you said so I can say it verbatim? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll just kind of like play it back in the headphones and you can just kind of mimic it. Cool. Or I could just play my audio and you can just do the. <laughs> you can just move your mouth to it. Well, I'm going to come at this from a guitar player perspective. And having discovered him at such a young age and really like he shaped the way I look at music to begin with, you know, he helped me discover other bands that were influenced by him who influenced other bands that were influenced by them, you know, but he really showed that just being clean cut sometimes is boring. Sometimes you need to stab your speaker cone with a pencil. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Sometimes you need to dress a little differently on stage to get your name out there. And sometimes you just need a loud amp, a few chords, and some kick-ass solos. And that's all you need to really make an impression on someone. And Yeah, exactly. And it, it can be whatever you want. This comes from the same guy who, like, he said he just brought you speaker cones and amplifiers and pedals, but this is me and him also, you know, have played banjo and accordion by ourselves on the stage, and, you know, we play it to punk rock styles, so <laughs> it's something to behold. I'm not even trying to self-advertise here, but I'm saying, like, take whatever inspirations you want. And I, I think, honestly, like, Ian tried to get away from my message, but he only helped reinforce it. And the other last thought I have is... I just want to thank him for the years of listening that I have done to him. And we've only mentioned a tiny portion of his songs in this episode. I will be releasing more of his songs on our Spotify, but it just felt a little right to just talk about his hits and the inspirations that were derived from it. Because really, Jimmy Page took a huge inspiration from him. A lot of huge musicians were more inspired by him than I would say any of the actual, like, listeners were. Yeah, he came up with a guitar tone that was unheard of. And he used power chords. I mean, with this guitar tone, these power chords, it really formed the type of music that I would be playing nowadays. Well, let's be honest. Like, if you just take take out any of the actual listening of his music and be like, okay, a guy who dresses like a bad boy. Uh, make sure that his tone is super fucked up, plays power chords, uh, you know, gets gets yelled at by all of his uh, c- 
constituents at the record companies. Yes, That's stop a- being su- such a bad influence on the children. Yeah, yeah, you're known for your rumbles. Like, all of those things stacked together, if I'm describing it, you don't think surf rock from that. You think fucking punk rock. Yeah. You think, you know, some metal guy or some, some you know, that's not what you think with surf rock. And the reality is you can be a bad boy in any genre. And so if you want to be a bad boy on our list. Yeah, if you want to be the bad boy of the decots genre. Please share our episodes with your friends. Like us on social media, social media stuff. Yeah, we like that stuff. Check out our Spotify so you can listen to the bad boy music that makes you want to have a bad boy attitude. Yeah, the URL is in the description of this episode. We we make uh, playlists for every episode we do with as much of the coolest music as we possibly can. So you can listen to the episode, listen to the playlist and, you know, really get your uh, get your jimmies on or whatever they say here in the uh, cool kids zone. Thank you for listening. Do check out this song. Yeah, we love you. Have a good night. Bye.